We're going to continue in our series this morning, Everyday Theology. We've been talking for the past couple weeks about this gap between what we believe on paper and how that actually gets down on the ground level in our lives. We want to take what we believe up here in the air and bring it down to affect our everyday lives because our doctrine and our beliefs oftentimes are not informing how we live and we want to close that gap. And so we have talked over the past few weeks about the doctrine of God, of Scripture, last week of creation and how those things affect our daily lives, how they get practical. Uh, and today we're going to talk about the doctrine of adoption. 42 years ago this year, the most famous line, in my humble opinion, was ever mentioned in a movie, was ever delivered in a movie by James Earl Jones when he looked at Luke Skywalker and he said, <laughs> no, I am your father. This line, when you watch that movie for the first time, me and my, my girl, I just watched it with my two older girls and I was watching them while we were watching that moment to see their reaction and watch the, the shock and watch the emotion and, and watch the tension in them and it was palpable, it was amazing. Uh, and, and the reason there's so much emotion and tension in, in, in that moment is because it, that connects with us on this deep level, right? Because who your father is matters. Who your father is matters. Your relationship with your father shapes you in all sorts of ways for good or for bad. And if Darth Vader was your father, you don't know what way that's going to go. This relationship, this father relationship matters so much because it really is meant to point us to a greater father. Our relationship with our earthly fathers are meant to point us to a heavenly father because that relationship has such great influence on our lives. The reality that to be a Christian is not just a religion we practice. It is not just a set of beliefs we hold to. To be a Christian at its core is to be adopted and to belong to a new family. To have a new father and to be a part of a new family, an eternal family. And this reality changes us in ways that mere religion could not. This reality of adoption changes us in ways that a mere set of beliefs could not change us. So, the doctrine of adoption. I have four quick points uh, about what we believe about the doctrine of adoption. And then, on the practical side, we're going to do something we've never done before. And I'm going to bring up some families who have adopted children of their own in our church. And we're going to ask some questions about how their lives have been impacted and deepened. Uh, their understanding of their own adoption into God's family by their earthly adoption. So let's start out. Let's look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Paul writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 4, starting in verse 4. And he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves... But a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Point number one, if you're taking notes in the worship guide, adoption is planned. Adoption is planned. 
As a parent, there are a lot of times that things happen or things show up at your house and you're not sure how they got there. Where did that toy come from? Where did these homemade cookies come from? How did they get here? My wife's not home and I know I didn't make them. How, where did this, you know, things just show up at your house sometimes. But adoption is never something that just happens. Adoption isn't that, you know, you don't just have a kid show up in your house, start calling you mom or dad, and you're like, where did you come from? Adoption is always planned. For an adoption to happen, you have to have a heart for adoption. You have to have a heart for children. You have to choose to do it. You have to go through a, a process, and a, a legal process. Adoption, adoption doesn't just happen. You have to plan it. And the same is true both here on earth and in the courts of heaven. The same is true for God. Verse 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The fullness of time is a phrase that means the moment had finally come that had long been planned. The fullness of time means I would planned something long beforehand and we finally got to the culmination of that thing that I would planned. You see, God did not decide to save us or adopt us 2,000 years ago when Jesus came to earth to redeem us. He decided long before that. He didn't decide after Genesis 3 even when Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God and God knew at that moment we would need redeeming. No, even before. Ephesians 1.4 tells us that it was before the foundation of the world that God knew that his creation, amen, God knew that his creation would fall into sin and he would need to redeem it. And so before he even spoke the world into existence, he had a plan to adopt us into his family. God had planned our adoption long before we were a twinkle in the eye of our grandparents. God determined long ago to make us into his family. And once he decided, the stage was set and it was just a matter of time. And when the time had come, he sent his son to purchase us into his family, which leads us to point two. Point two, adoption is costly. Adoption is costly. Did you know that the average adoption in America costs between $1,000 and $70,000? And if you go overseas, the number just goes up from there. You would think that governments would want to get orphans to good homes and would want to make it as cheap and as easy as possible, but they don't. Adoption is always costly, whether that's financial it's emotional. It, there's a cost of time, a cost of energy. It, it, adopting is never net neutral. It costs something. When the Mabrys adopted Rubinho, it took them several years and several trips and a lot of legal hoops to jump through to finally get down there to get this young man home. Some good friends of mine from Kentucky, the Halls, decided they wanted to adopt from China. And when they got matched with this little girl named Choo Choo, they, they knew they wanted her. They knew they wanted to bring her home. And even though they, they see her ankles were rolled in like this, and they knew that she had, been, had all these test surgeries done to her, that they were going to have to get her, get her to a doctor and hope they could correct it and straighten out her ankles, even though she was already two years old. And the surgery should have happened a long time ago. Even though they knew that they were going to have that cost and all the other costs of the trauma and all the other costs of all the things that were going to come with that, they sold their home. And this man had the best man cave garage I've ever seen. 
I mean, all the woodworking you could imagine, all the room to do fun man stuff, he had the room. And they sold the house with the garage they, so that they could downsize, so that they could take the proceeds of the money to make sure that they could do this adoption and provide her with all the medical things that she needed to come into their home and be able to hopefully walk again. And the amazing thing was they didn't just do it one time, they did it two times. And the amazing thing was they didn't just do it two times, they did it three times. They kept downsizing their house and going to a less nice house and a less nice house and a smaller house and a smaller house so that they could use the money to bring kids home from China who needed a home in their house. Adoption is costly. And our adoption costs God something too. Adoption is costly. That might be for us financial. It might be us emotional. It might be a strain on the family. It always costs something, but for God it costs even more than that. Not just a financial cost, not just emotional cost. It costs more than that. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. To redeem those. The word redeem literally means to buy back. To redeem us means to purchase us back. And so he came to redeem us, those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, Adam and Eve's sin not only made us spiritual orphans, but it made us orphans who owed a debt. A debt that could only be paid in blood. For justice to be served, those orphans had to die an eternal death. And so in order for God to adopt us, he can't just suspend the rules because he's God. He can't just say, you know what, time out, forget all the rules, I'll do this my own way. He can't do that and remain good. In order to adopt us, he's got to redeem us. He's got to purchase us. He's got to pay the debt himself. My dad was one of those dads who always had something to say about every little thing. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When we were going to Sam's Club and we would go get the free samples, and I'd go, man, dad, I love a free sample. What, what would he say? Son, ain't nothing free in this world. Somebody paid for that. I know, Dad, but it's free for me. He, you know, you always have to make some comment like that. Your adoption into God's family is free for you, but it's not free. It costs God. God had to foot the bill. Your adoption into the family of God was the most costly adoption in the history of the world because it cost God the blood of his own son. And so in those moments when you doubt the love of God for you, you need to remember that he knew you at your worst. He knew you when you were an orphan, lost by the fall, running away, broken, rebellious, and yet he still says they're worth the price of this adoption. And even when I bring them to my home and they're still crazy, I would still, still pay the price. To make them part of my family. Number three, adoption gives us a new family. Adoption gives us new, a new family. The greatest privilege of a child is access. And when you are adopted into the family of God, you have unlimited and unguarded and unfettered access to the Father. Hebrews says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Verse 6 in our Galatians passage says, And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
You see, that word Abba is the, the first words a baby would utter. Just like our kids today, they might say, Dad, 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 or Mama, Mama. This, the baby's first words in Hebrew were Abba, Abba. And, and, and so the only way that what we get to do is look at God, and we don't have to say, Oh, high, majestic king. We don't look at God and go, Oh, great, holy one. We get to look at God and say, Daddy. We get to look at God and say, We get to be the kid. You've heard me say this before. The only person that can wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. His child. And we have that sort of access and privilege to God that we can interrupt his day anytime we want without frustration. We have unlimited access. I've shared this story before, but Ryan assures me it's good enough that I can continue to share it and it doesn't get old. Many of you have heard this story, but when... We were going to baptize Josiah and Rabino, who are Nathan and Rachel's sons. We were talking through this aspect of adoption. We were talking through what it means to be a part of the family of God and to illustrate because Rabino is adopted. I asked him, Rabino, are you a full Mabry or a half Mabry or a part Mabry? And he says, oh, I'm, I'm part Mabry. And Josiah, before I could get a word out, looked at him and he said, no, you're a full Mabry. You are just as much my brother as Annie is my sister. My dad is as much your dad as he is my dad. That's what it means to be brought into the family of God. You're not half anything. You're not the red-headed stepchild. Sorry, redheads. You're not partially in. You're not hanging on by a thread. You are a full, you are as much a son as Jesus is a son. Of God. I have a lot of friends who have adopted kids, and almost without fail, they all have a story or an experience where someone ask, comes up to them and, and asks them, Oh, which ones are your real kids? And you talk about one of the quickest ways uh, to get a haymaker or the people's elbow or to make, a, <laughs> to make somebody mad is to, to ask, which, ask them which of their kids are their real kids. Because the answer is immediately, they are all my real kids, but some of them came into the family a different way. They're all my real kids, they just all didn't come from my body. But they are all my real kids. In God's family, we're all his real kids. We are as much his real kids as this Jesus is his real son. We are his real kids. A couple months ago, our foster son at the time, Eli, was crying all the time. And we, we couldn't seem to help him enough, and he was whiny all the time and fussy all the time, and he was driving us crazy. And we would ask, or we would ask each other, me and Kate would ask, do you, think he'll, do you think he's happy here? Do you think he wants to be here? Do you think he likes us? Or is he just miserable and doesn't want to be here? And we'd struggle through that and wonder, are we doing enough? Does he like it? And all of a sudden, we remembered that when he first came into our care, he actually never cried. When he first came into our care, he would get hurt. He'd fall. Something hit him in the face. He'd pull a key, pulled a camera down one time, and a big old camera hit him in the head. And he'd cry for like a second and stop. And we remembered that, and we realized, oh, he used to not cry because he knew when he cried, no one would come running. But now he won't shut up because he knows when he cries, He's got four siblings and two parents who come running. 
He knows now that he belongs to a new family and someone answers his Abba Father cry. That all he has to do is whine a little bit and we come running. Because he is happy here because someone loves and cares for him. And is that not exactly, is that not exactly how God treats us? Without the getting annoyed part. That God hears our cries and he doesn't get annoyed like we do. But he comes running. He hears our Abba, Father cries, and he doesn't get annoyed. He doesn't get tired of hearing it. In fact, it is precisely what he loves to hear. He, it, his heart overflows with gratitude for hearing our cries for help. It is precisely what moves him to hear us cry out for him. That he could come running to help us, to come to our rescue. You see, when we are adopted, we are adopted into a new family, and we are complete, full members of that family. This is kind of my last point. Adoption changes your legal status. Adoption changes your legal status. This past week, we finally, after tons of paperwork and red tape and waiting and ups and downs, we got to go to the courthouse, and we got to make a, our adoption of Eli final. Uh, the judge, when we sat in the courtroom, we didn't know what to expect, and the judge asked us questions like, why do you want to adopt him? And like, we weren't ready to answer that. Uh, what do you love about him? What is the stuff you want to do with him? And all these things. And we, got, we, got, we answered all her questions, and at the end of it, she says, well, I hereby pronounce Eli legally adopted. And then Eli got to go up and grab the gavel and bang it, and that was exciting. But in that moment, in the, a court of law, his name went from being Brantley and like, how do I, hey, we don't even know what his name was. He had like too many names. The, no one, everyone told us he had a different name. He went from no one knowing what his name was to being now named Elijah Ever Riley Wilson. Yeah, that was exciting. Now, I'll tell you, our oldest daughter, Eden, came up with the name, the middle name, Ever as it works as a reminder that just as God's kingdom lasts forever, so is Eli forever a Wilson, and by extension, a Riley, her maiden name. In that moment, his legal status changed. He went from no name to having a name. We can now sign legal document, documents for him, where before it was a nightmare. We can now make decisions. We can now choose to cut his hair without asking someone for permission. We can take him out of state without asking someone else his permission because legally he's ours. In the same way, God has legally adopted you. You belong to Jesus. Verse 7, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. Three quick things that legally change when you come into the family of God. One, you have new standing. You see, God turns what was the criminal trial against you for your sin, he turns that trial into an adoption ceremony. Where when you believe the gospel, you are not simply declared not guilty, but declared an heir. Declared a son. Declared a daughter. And you no longer relate to God simply as a creature or a servant, but you relate to him as a child to a parent. Two, you have a new home. Jesus' home is your home. 
And he has left to prepare a place for you. That's what he says when he leaves the disciples and he ascends. Right? He says, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare your forever home. He's saying you will never, ever be homeless in the family of God. You will always have a place at this table and in this house because my house is your house forever no matter what you do. And third, he says we have a new inheritance. Since you are a legal child, that means that all the things that belong to the Father now belong to you. That means that his stuff is your stuff. That means that the kingdom of God, the new creation that is coming, all the riches of the universe are, are ours as his children. And so when the kingdom of God comes, we will not be the peasants serving the king, but rather will sit in thrones beside Jesus to rule and reign with him as heirs, legal heirs to the throne of God. See, the reason we are so passionate as Christians, about earthly adoption, about earthly orphan care, isn't just because James tells us to do it in the book of James. Well, that is one reason, but it's not merely the reason. But we are passionate because it is a picture of our own heavenly adoption. Earthly adoption is a picture, is a, is a small shadow of what has actually happened to us in this room. And so we've been adopted into the family of God. So I want to invite a few families up to answer a couple questions, to kind of talk about the practical side of this. And so if that's you, if, I, if you're supposed to come up here, come up here right now. But as they're coming up, I want to ask you this question. If you have adopted, have been adopted, or have been affected by adoption, or have done foster care or orphan care in some way, would you really quickly stand up? Yeah, awesome. Thank you, guys. That's great. All right. Thanks, Brett. All right, so real quick, Janice Fancher, Nathan Mabry, Rachel Mabry, Kate Wilson. Hi, babe. So <laughs> so a uh, couple questions been going whatever order. Um, you got the mic, so I'm going to let y'all start, maybe start. I want to just tell us who you are and tell us the story of your adoption and how God brought either the child or children into your life and your home. We are Nathan and Rachel Mabry, and um, how do you fit a four-year-plus journey into a few minutes? I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> I will try. Um, so we had talked about it a little throughout our marriage, um, but in 2014, I remember specifically that we were at Great Wolf Lodge with our kids. Our kids were at the age they could run around and we could, like, sit in a pool <laughs> by ourselves. It was a really good place to be. <laughs> and um, and I, I remember that we just brought it up, like, are we going to do this or are we not? Like, this is time to make that decision. Um, Nathan, I think it was you that said, I don't know, our life is pretty easy right now. <laughs> and it was, like, that light bulb moment of, like, well, God didn't call us to easy lives. And so we, at that moment, really, like January of 2014, we were like, okay, let's start. And in February, I started the paperwork, and um, and then we, lo very long story, but we decided to go with Haiti, and um, we 
waited a little while, and then uh, there were a couple boys that I saw on Facebook that had come across from Columbia that were older, and we felt a very strong pull to these boys. And um, got a hold of the agent, our agency, and we're like, I think we need to switch to Columbia. Like, I think these boys are supposed to be ours. And um, we prayed about it. The, the agency was like, oh, sure, yeah, this is great. They were 9 and 13, and but our social worker came back and said, absolutely not. Like, these boys have a very hard past. You have two young girls in the home. It's just not a good fit. We, I mean, I cried, and we, like, he sent emails. Like, he was very passionate. Like, we think these boys are supposed to be ours. And they, he just, no, no. And so we put their picture up on the refrigerator and um, prayed for them, became prayer warriors, and they were adopted. I found out, like, months later, I got a video of them meeting their family, uh, and that was wonderful. So we were supposed to be their prayer warriors. But because of that story, um, we got a call just a month later, I think, and she's like, you know, um, since you were interested in these older boys, she's like, there's an older boy at the orphanage that you're already adopting from that needs a home. And that is how I thought his name was Robin Hayo. So <laughs> <laughs> that was what I called him for a while. But that is how we found out that Rubinho, he was about seven years old. Needed a home. I think the story is that uh, because we had interest in these older kids, our paperwork originally was for, for younger, for much younger kids. And uh, because they're like, oh, you are, you take an older kid? Yes, uh, and my retirement plan, my, my empty nest plan doesn't change. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but so they called us and said, hey, we've got this young man. And we said, absolutely. And it took still another two and a half years. Uh, we did get to go visit him. Uh, one year, every country works differently, but Haiti likes to stretch it out as long as they can. And uh, but we went and spent a, uh, a week, two weeks with him. Uh, we came back and we went again and spent another week and took the rest of his siblings. And then we came back and then finally uh, they uh, been four, a little over four years, four years in April that uh, he's been legally our child and been a Mabry. So a full one, a full Mabry. Yeah. Which one? Uh, my name is Jill Fancher. Husband and I have been married several years. We wanted a family. Got to point it at you. <laughs> we had been married several years, wanted a family. It didn't seem to happen, so we applied for adoption. At the time, we were living in Virginia, and so we were put on a waiting list. And after about three years, we received a phone call that there was a year old girl that would be available if we were interested, of course. So we went, went through all the paperwork, the legal hassles, um, and we brought her home. About six months later or so, the adoption became final. We thought if we have to wait several years, we'll get our name on the list again. And within a few months, we got a phone call telling us that there were a, another little boy and another little girl available for adoption, which one did we want? Well, how do you make that decision? It didn't make any difference. Um, as we met with our social worker, she said, I would lose my job if I told you this, but it's 
your daughter's siblings, her brother and sister, and they've been in foster care. Which one do you want? No brainer, of course, we want both of them. So we went from no children, within 19 months, we had three under the age of three. And it was a struggle and a challenge, but it was so worth it. So our story started, we're dating, and we started out saying, someday we will adopt. And I said, and it will definitely be international because I am too scared of anything else. And so that's how we began the process. We had quite a few kids and so kept putting it off and putting it off. And as we continued to put it off, I grew up a little bit and changed a little bit and realized that perhaps there were some other ways and there were some other kids. And so we began thinking of foster care as a stepping stone. We could start with foster care and adopt through foster care. And we met with some friends who shaped our perspective on that and helped us to understand that a biological family was important and we could be a part of reunifying that. And so we decided we came from, I only want to adopt internationally to, okay, maybe we could just do foster care. And our goal could be to help reunify foster children with their biological families and support them in that way. And so that's how we started the process in the summer of 2020 was we will foster as many kids as we need to and reunite as many families as we possibly can. And when our son came into our home, he was an orphan and he did not have family to reunify with. And so it shifted in us over the course of a few months to, is this even what we intended to do? We didn't really intend to grow our forever family this way to, okay, we're gonna move forward one step at a time with him. Yeah. So now a couple practical questions. So, uh, you know, we're the, we're the newest in this, um, and we've got different stages here, but how did those adoptions affect, change, deepen your understanding of how God has adopted you into his family? How did it change that, mold that, whatever? When I was in high school, I did an, uh, my senior year, I did an internship with a <clears throat> Christian businessman. And every time he would meet someone and realize that they were also a believer, he would say, oh, we, get, we need to get to know each other because we're going to spend eternity together. I thought it was a little cliche, but what it has come for me to, to understand is how, how our spiritual relationships are more important and should, in fact, supersede our biological relationships. You know, that... There's an old adage that blood is thicker than water, but that's really not true because there are blood relatives that I have that I will not spend eternity with, but there are spiritual brothers and sisters that I have that I will. And so what adoption has done for me is to help me understand better that concept that my identity is not first and foremost a Mabry. My identity is not first and foremost an American or anything of that nature, but my, my identity is that I am a child of God. And as a child, now my children, biologically and through adoption, are also my brothers and sisters, and that we are on that same playing field and level, levelness with God, that, my, that our identity is first and foremost 
in Christ and in God as believers. Good. Awesome. <laughs> it's really hard to put into words. When you bring a child into your home, in my case, when you bring three children, and it does change your life completely, but as you think about it, they come with challenges, they come with disabilities sometimes, and yet we come to the Lord with the same thing, and he accepts us regardless. That love is unconditional, and that's what I learned through adoption, that you love them unconditionally in spite of things, and that's how the Lord looks at me too, and that's how I relate to that. I think for me, especially thinking through this past week where the adoption process was finalized, I can see through Eli that he brought actually nothing to that table on Monday afternoon. He had to just be there. That actually is what our paper inviting us to the courthouse said. The adoptee needs only to be present. And it was startling for me to think through. He literally brought nothing to this table. He didn't ask for it. He probably didn't even really want it uh, at first, obviously. And so all he had to do on Monday morning was show up. And the same is true for me. All I had to do is show up. And the Lord did the rest. Came and got me, even when maybe I didn't want to be gotten. And did all of the process and the work and the cost for me. However, now that he is legally a part of my family, it is up to him how involved he wants to be. He can be all in and have all of the joy and all of the belonging that we want to offer him, or he can step to the side and resent us a little bit or be upset about it. And I, I think the thing that that's taught me is I can be all in on my Christian walk. I can be all in with the Lord as father. Or I could be saved and live on the sidelines, but I'll be missing so much joy. I'll be missing so much fullness of life that he could offer. That's good. One of the things that's done for me is uh, when you have a biological kid, you kind of got nine months to prepare and be excited and get emotional. And then it comes and, and you've kind of got this emotional attachment. But when this kid is just placed in your home, you don't immediately have this emotional connection to them. Uh, and so that uh, it takes us time. And like when they're crying, it's a little different because um, I was emotionally connected to this thing for nine months. I don't know why. But this one, it just kind of dropped on me. And so I'm not as emotionally connected. But I've thought about how that's not true for God. Like God doesn't have to like kind of, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love you in spite of you. I'm going to, even though I'm not feeling the same emotional connection about changing your nasty diaper, there's this nasty diaper. Uh, but God doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to, like, kind of build up those emotions or whatever. He, he is all in, and his heart is thrust toward us from the very beginning, even though we sometimes have to, in the same way as marriage, right? Like, sometimes you, like, you get choose to love, right? Um, and so uh, it's helped me to understand deeper about God's love for me um, than my own lack of love, if that makes sense. What, so what would you guys say? Nathan, you kind of hit on this a little bit. But what would you say about this? We've talked about the vertical relationship with God that adoption affects us. How does it affect horizontally with our brothers and sisters in the church? How does that adoption change your perspective there? You, you said a little bit about it already. Yeah. I mean, well, just, just like 
this gentleman that I, that I got to, to know in high school. If, if I learn that you are a believer, then I say, oh, we're going to spend eternity together. So it does help me to, to see those around me as believers in the church, and, in, and I rejoice even in, like in my own biological family. There's a lot of believers, and, uh, or not even just biological, because thankfully God has shown adoption through other parts of our family as well. And that uh, just this eternity factor and the fact that eternity starts now, like eternity isn't something that's a future thing to come. Like we're already in eternity. We just happen to be living in this particular place and period. But to know that those who trust and believe the same thing that I do have that same commonality of faith, that we, we have that fellowship that in common and that we'll be together for forever. But also, just as God has accepted me in spite of who I know myself to be, and others may, and no one else knows that, like the faults and, and selfishness and things that I bring to the table, uh, so I know that when I encounter those things and others, that God still loves them. And because God, because God has loved me, in spite of who I am, I can love others in spite of who they are. <laughs> so for us, I think, we've already been walking down the road of the church family being our family. We don't live near family uh, and haven't since we've gotten married. And so in every situation, when we have to rush Ember to the hospital in the middle of the night, it is our church family that we call to come and sit at our house. And when we had to do classes uh, to get trained and licensed in foster care, it was our church family that came over and kept the kids. And so the, our church family has already been our family. But as I watch my biological children interact with Eli and accept him and prepare for a lifetime of care for him and what that will look like for all six of us. I have grown in a deeper appreciation for the fact that it is the rest of my life that my church family will be my family. They will be the ones that uh, as my children grow up and go to college and go on their own and we walk through those days, they will be the ones that walk with us through that from here on out, the same way that they, my biological children will walk here on out with Eli. I think, and, and along those lines, uh, when we were at the courthouse on Monday, rejoiced there were some grandparents there on both sides, but the judge went around and you know, asked everybody that was there in their relationship, and just overwhelmingly, outside of social worker and, and grandparents, it was church family. And, uh, and I know many others would have been there uh, as well, but uh, so I think that identifies like how when we say brother and sister in Christ, it's, it's, that's a true relationship. And I think those relationships can often be much deeper and more significant than maybe the family relationships we had growing up. No. She said amen. <laughs> All right, last question. Uh, if there was anybody here that was considering 
adopting, considering foster care, considering helping in any sort of way, what advice might you give them as they are on the front end of that, even just thinking and having conversations about, hey, maybe one day we want to do this. What advice might you give them? I had a personal moment in Haiti. Um, we had to, We went there for 15 days. It's like a mandatory, very much different now after COVID, but at that time it was 15 days mandatory, like you spend all day. Really, they'd drop him off at like 8 o'clock in the morning, and then he, we'd take him back at like 6. And so you're just, well, we had all kinds of games we made up, like hide Captain America, and you had to come up with all kinds of things to, to do. Um, but um, there was moments where I was just like, I mean, this is, a, you know, at the time, I think he was nine. We heard about him at seven, but we didn't get to meet him until he was nine. And so um, there was moments of like, not a, not a doubt in what God has done and brought him in our lives, a doubt in myself of like, can I do this? Can I be the mom he needs? He was very much a daddy's boy, like from, this, from the start. It was very, very challenging for him, he and I to connect because he had a lot of women caregivers and not a lot of men in his life. And so he was just like, I want dad. I just want dad. There's a lot of me just walking around the yard like, oh, am I going to be able to, you know, just pity party type stuff. Like wanting, wanting his love, but being like, I don't think he can give that right now. And so um, I remember opening my journal, and um, this verse was at the bottom of it, and I felt like it was a gift from the Lord. Um, it's from Hebrews. It was verse 10, 36. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And it spoke to me as like, I just need to love him. I need to, every single day, I need to get up. I need to show him love. I need to play with him, like, just be there, even if he just wants him, and I'm just that extra, you know, presence there, um, and that God would give me that relationship with him, and it didn't take too long, I mean, he got home, and he was like, can I go with you here, can I go with you here, can I go with you here, and it was like, we spent so much, he was working, and we spent so much of that time just me running errands, and him going with me, because he wanted to, he very much just wanted to live life, and be outside of four walls, and so, um, he and I are very close now. He's Mr. Basketball Star, Mr. Soccer Star. You should come see him play. He's really good. And <laughs> I get to be that mom that's got the really embarrassing happy birthday to him sign that he's super happy about at the games. And, like, he and I are very close because we spend so much time going to and from practice, to and from practice, to and from games. And so God has given me what he promised. So you can do it. That's the hope. <laughs> My whole point was if you feel a call, um, just answer that call. And just know that he will be there to give you what he's promised. I think I take my approach from a more practical side, especially if you are considering adopting an infant or a toddler. They do have memories. They're not able to express it. They're not able to tell you what has gone on in the past. So it's a learning process. Um, you have to just take time to get to know them. You want them, so you want them in your home immediately. You want to love them and hold on to them and spend time with them, and they're not ready for that. It takes weeks or months sometimes to build that bond, to have them trust you, have them know that you're not going to leave them or abandon them. So from my experience, it was quite a challenge to get them to trust and to love, even at a very young age. Um, it does come around 
and you do eventually get that bond. And another thing, too, I learned when mine were really little, I talked to them from the very beginning about being adopted, and we had a special book that we would read every single night so that they didn't grow up not knowing because I didn't want it to come from somebody in school or a neighbor. They knew from the time that they could understand that they were adopted, but also I emphasized they were chosen. We wanted them to be in our family. We wanted them to be our children. And so now they are 46, 47, and 48. They have children of their own. But growing up, they've had such an appreciation for the fact that we wanted them. And I think that's the most important thing. I would say just take the next step. It took us four four years, three years, and two years for us. And so I think by taking the next step, by knowing I feel I may feel called to this, just kind of pull up some information online, just one step. And there are a million more steps between that and this moment or Monday or whenever uh, the end result is. And so taking the next step over obedience is obedience. So if, if there is this feeling of, could this maybe be something we should pursue? There is a step of obedience that is just, I'll look into it. And then the step of obedience of, I'll just contact somebody. And each little step is a step of obedience. And so don't wait for a better time. The time is now. Well, thank you guys for coming up here. we wrap up, just want to say in closing, the church, not just our church, but the church, is called to orphan care. We're all called to it. Now that looks different in all of our lives. We're called to orphan care, but that for some looks like adopting. For some looks like foster care. For some it looks like helping finance the $70,000 adoption from China. For some, it looks like babysitting to give that parent a break. For some, it looks like helping provide meals. For some, it looks like praying for those families. For some, it, it can look in all different kinds of ways, but we as a church are called to care for orphans. The Bible makes that very clear, and particularly because that's who we are. We were orphans. We've been brought into a new family, and just as we were brought into a new family, we get to be a part of bringing other people into a new family. So if you have any questions about that, how to get involved in that, whatever, you saw people up here that can help you. There are other people in our church uh, that I didn't have room for up on the stage who have adopted and we're really thankful for them. And so there are other people you can talk to. Come to me, I'll point you to in any of those directions. Um, but let's pray and we'll sing and we'll get out of here. Father, this morning we, we have two requests. One, if there are anyone in this room who has not experienced the adoptive love of God, who makes us children and heirs. God, this morning, would you show them that Christianity is much more than some religion or doctrines or set of beliefs, but Christianity is the beginning of a new family. It is the beginning of a forever, eternal, adoptive new home, and that you are inviting them to that right now. God, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you in that way, we pray this morning that you give them the courage to come talk with me or somebody else, that they might know your love. And Father, if there's anyone in this room who's just interested, hey, you know what, maybe I can 
bring a child into our home. Maybe we can expand our family, not just through biology, but through adoption as God has adopted us. God, would you prick their hearts this morning? Would you call them and challenge them this morning to take that next step of obedience to figure out, hey, maybe I can be a part of this. Maybe we can do this. Maybe, I know we've already got three kids, but maybe one more is not too much. God, would you you put that on their hearts for what ways might they help be a part of this? God, we love you so much. We're thankful for your adoption of us. As we sing, God, help us remind us of your love. In Christ's name we pray. All people said, we'll stand together.